Well, good morning, and thank you for joining us here at our site here, as well as online, wherever you might be today. And take your Bibles, or your Bible apps, or an online version of something, and turn with me one more time to the book of Colossians. Today we complete our study of this very important book that points us to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We're looking today at chapter 4, verses 12 through 18. If you are watching the start of a NASCAR race, you might hear the commentators discuss the advantage of the person who qualified for the pole position. If you are watching the Olympics in 2021 now, uh, you'll also hear commentators talk about uh, lane assignments, I guess, uh, in a sprint, when you don't have a turn, they say four and, lanes four and five are best. Maybe something about the wind resistance. And so they focus the cameras at the starting line, and you see the, the runners flexing their legs and the drivers starting their engines, because the starting line is very important, but not nearly as important as the finish line. And so the camera view that will really matter is the camera view of when the runners, when the cars pass the finish line. Because you can start well and slow down. You can fall. You can crash. What matters is how you finish. As we come to the end of our study of Colossians last week and this week, we've been looking at a list of names, some ten names of people who were either with Paul where he was writing from in Rome, or else now some greetings to the people in the city of Colossae, where the church is, to whom he is writing. And we looked at five names last week and now five more this week. And they seem to illustrate very well how important it is that we see the Christian life in its entirety and make sure that we are standing firm so that we finish well. The first name we look at today is Epaphras, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ, sends greetings. So he's with Paul in Rome. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, Colossians, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. So Epaphras uh, occurs for the second time in this book. He's one of you because he was from Colossae. He's a hometown guy. Turn back to chapter 1 where we began our study and we are introduced to Epaphras because Paul is describing the impact that this man Epaphras had on this church. Beginning in verse 6, the gospel that has come to you, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it, the gospel, and understood God's grace, that is the gospel, in all of its truth. You, Colossians, learned it from this guy, Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. 
So the gospel is changing that area of the world because Epaphras told them about the grace of God. The good news or gospel is about the grace of God. So what Epaphras has done is he has been sharing with them the story of what Christ did. And the reality that we do not come into a relationship with God through good works, not through keeping the Old Testament law, but rather by putting our faith in Christ who has fully paid for our sins. And by, by embracing that grace, by receiving the free gift of eternal life, they were not only securing their own eternal destiny, but their world was changing. The world was being transformed. It's still the gospel that changes the world because the gospel changes us from the inside out. And even as we think of these days of great anger and conflict, those things do not ultimately evaporate until we are changed from the inside by the grace of God, understanding our forgiveness, God's forgiveness of our sins. Prejudice evaporates when we understand the grace of God, having forgiven us of our sin. Fear of the future, there's been a lot of that, evaporates when we understand that our eternity is secure and we are in the hands of the one who died for us. So Epaphras has told them about that. Now back to chapter 4, verse 12. He's one of you. He's one of you. The most likely scenario is that uh, Epaphras growing up in Colossae, somehow made his way to Ephesus, about 100 miles west, because that's where Paul spent some two years on one of his missionary journeys teaching. And it says the gospel went out from there. Likely Epaphras heard it from Paul in Ephesus, took it back to Colossae. And so now he's a partner. He's part of the ministry team. Paul calls him a servant of Christ Jesus. And the word servant is actually the word slave, Uh, the same term that we saw last week described Tychicus, another team member of Paul's, called a slave. Slave of who? Slave of Christ Jesus. If Paul's ministry team would have worn like matching t-shirts, I think that would have said, all in slaves of Christ Jesus. And so we, we can kind of envision this, this band of brothers. Paul always traveled with these other men. Sometimes you see up to eight names listed at once. He wasn't just walking by himself down those roads. He was always with someone. And you can only imagine the encouragement they were to one another so that they would stand firm all the way to the finish line. Paul knew something about Epaphras' spiritual life. It says, In verse 12, he is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Epaphras prioritized a prayer ministry, so while he was some 12, 1,300 miles away from his hometown, he was praying for those people. The word uh, wrestling is really an athletic term, describing like events where you compete by fighting and such as wrestling in some way. And so it came to mean anything where you, you continuously exert significant effort, like prayer. If prayer is hard for you, you're not alone. And what makes Epaphras stand out is not that he had some special skill at praying. 
He rather illustrates chapter 4, verse 2. He simply devoted himself to it. He was committed to it. So keep struggling in prayer. When God puts people on your heart, keep struggling in prayer unless he releases them from your heart to, to pray. But pray, wrestle. The second phrase in the word order is a little different depending on your translation, but I take it more like this. He was wrestling in prayer that you what? Stand firm and fully assured in the will of God. He prayed about the most important thing you can pray about for another believer, pray that they would stand firm, they wouldn't quit, that they would continue spiritually all the way to the finish line. The church in Colossae by this time was maybe seven years old since Epaphras had brought them to the gospel. And uh, if you've ever been involved in a new church, uh, years ago we had the privilege of planting Grace Bible Church up in Adel, and it's exciting to see a church get started. Or it could be that you are a a newer Christian yourself, or maybe you're newer uh, to this church. And hopefully there's some exciting aspects to that where you know, you're learning some truths for the first time and, and building some relationships and seeing what God is doing in your life and you know, kind of the light bulbs are kind of going on. That is fantastic. You just need to know this. You are on lap one, two, or three maybe of a marathon. So enjoy every stage of it. But as he says, stand Firm. Don't get discouraged when this happens and when that happens and somebody disappoints you. Be realistic, but keep going. And how will that, how can we be sure that we will keep going? Look at the last phrase about him. Fully assured in the will of God. That's the only way it happens. Is if you are fully assured, not in a church, not in a person, Not even the person who might have led you to faith in Christ, but because you are fully assured in the will of God. What is the will of God? You should be holding a copy of the will of God. You should be in this daily because this is what will fully assure you so that your commitment to Christ will last. So keep learning. No biblical truth. You see, we've seen in our study of Colossians that there were many false teachers that we're putting in this and putting in this and twisting that. And Paul was very concerned about them. And what concerns me is the proliferation of so many spiritual ideas today. We all know we're on information overload and you can read the blogs and the postings and the, and the books and, and the, the underlying spirituality of certain movies or, or shows and and, and, and we get all confused. How do we keep from being distracted except by being fully assured in the will of God? So as you, as you encounter spiritual-sounding ideas, wherever that might be, please understand that you will process those things in one of two ways. I like things simple. It's, it's, it's one of two ways you will process spiritual ideas. You may decide, if I like the idea, I agree with it. If I like the idea, I agree with it. Or you will process it this way, if the Bible teaches that I agree with it. It is that simple. In fact, if an idea appeals to you, beware. 
if you go, I really like that idea spiritually. Because it just may be coming from your own sinful, selfish flesh. Go check it with the word of God. The key to finishing well is to be fully assured, not in your views, not in someone else's views, but assured in the word of God. So don't go to scripture looking to support your view. Look in the scripture to see what God's view is. Epaphras is praying about these things. Verse 13, he's, uh, uh, Paul says, I vouch for him. He is working hard for you. And then he mentions two other locations. So let's just get our bearings here a little bit. Um, geographically, here around the Aegean Sea. So we're studying Colossians, written to the church in this city of Colossae. And as we said, Epaphras probably heard the gospel when uh, Paul was in Ephesus to the west. And now it says that he is working hard, Epaphras is working hard for these three churches, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. They're about 10, 15 miles apart, so kind of like, you know, Grafton, Port, Cedar Grove, Oostburg, something like that. And so he says he's had an impact all over those areas. He's working hard for you, probably referring to his prayer ministry, unless he was also sending notes or something along. Um, the word working hard is actually a pain word. You work to the point of pain. That, that's, that's how committed he was. This, this isn't a, um, a Father's Day message exactly, but if there was a person you would want to follow as a father, Epaphras would be a great role model. And so you ask yourself, am I wrestling in prayer for my children? And then the second question is, am I wrestling in prayer about the right things? There's so many things we want for our kids, but are we wrestling in prayer that they would stand firm and that they would stand firm not because of what I'm telling them, my views, but rather that they would be fully assured in the will of God? That's Epaphras. The next greeting is from Luke. Verse 14, very simply, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sends greetings. Luke is likely from Antioch originally, according to some early historians uh, who were about 100 years uh, after the time of Luke, so we have to kind of trust them about that. If so, Luke may have come to faith in Christ through the ministry of Paul and Barnabas because Acts 11 tells us how they began that ministry, and that's where <coughs> those who followed Christ were first called Christians. This is the reason why we know that Luke was a doctor or a physician. It, this is the one place it says that. And so it raises the question, uh, was he along with uh, Paul because he was a physician? Is that like his role on Paul's ministry team? Uh, you may have known that uh, Paul seemed to have some physical struggles, perhaps that thorn in the flesh. In fact, if you glance down to the very last uh, verse of this uh, book and this paragraph, says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And uh, he wrote uh, another place that he was writing in large letters. Uh, we take it he may have had some eye problems, vision problems, and somebody else had to write down what he was actually uh, wanting to send to someone. We also know from the book of Acts that he was uh, one time stoned 
by those who opposed Christ and left for dead. I would imagine that left some, some uh, pain. And uh, maybe, maybe Luke had a role as a physician with him, but the real reason we know uh, about Luke is because, of course, of uh, the Gospel of Luke, the record of the life of Christ. Uh, maybe you do or don't know that Luke not only wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he wrote the sequel. The sequel to Luke is the book of Acts, the story of the church. So we have four uh, books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, describing the life of Christ, but only Luke goes on and tells the continuing story, uh, which is where we get to know about Paul and the whole apostolic age in the book of Acts. In fact, Luke wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. More than Paul. Paul wrote 13 books or letters, but the two books of of Luke and Acts are actually like 5,000 more Greek words than than Paul. So just in case you're ever in a Bible trivia contest and someone asks you who wrote the most, you know. Luke wrote Luke and Acts to document the life of Christ and the progress of the church for initially one year friend of his. If you look in the opening verses of both Luke and Acts, you find mention of his friend Theopolis. In fact, he calls him most excellent Theopolis, from which we take it that he was some kind of a government official, maybe located in the hometown and large city of, of, of Antioch. And so we begin to get the heart of Luke that he had a passion to persuade his friend about Jesus Christ, and he undertook this large research of the life of Christ and chronicled the whole progress of Christianity, particularly for this one man, which, of course, now we know Luke and Acts were inspired by God for all of us. And so Luke was far more than his profession. It's important to remember that no matter what you do for a living, no matter what you do for work, whether it's doctor, house cleaner, plumber, or whatever, it's very important what you do. We've already seen that, Colossians 3, verse 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord and not for men. So so your attitude and your excellence in your job is vital as a way to glorify God, but always realize that God has placed you strategically among people. God has gifted you for a ministry that serves the eternal purposes. And these are the things that will sustain you so that you stand firm all the way to the finish line. Because otherwise you'll get stuck at different stages and you will see life in small little packages. I need to be successful at this. I need to do this. I need to be known for this. When in fact there is an eternal purpose that is drawing you along throughout your life. God has it planned for you. So Luke is now with, verse 14, is with Paul in prison in Rome. And so it makes us wonder now, how did he end up being on the team with Paul? Uh, we don't know. Maybe they, it's safe to think that he met Paul in Antioch. But when did he join the team? We actually know when and where Luke was with Paul in those missionary journeys of the book of Acts. Through uh, the magic of pronouns. That makes two weeks in a row I've been enjoying pronouns. But uh, they give us some clues uh, because on the second missionary journey, Luke is telling the story, right? Luke is telling the story. He says that uh, they, he's talking about Paul and his team, passed by Mysia and went to Troas. There's Troas. 
And then suddenly he shifts from having used the pronoun they to saying we. Well, that tells you Luke is with them. And he uses we throughout the rest of chapter 16, us and we, because they go to Philippi. Some of you know the story of Philippians, or rather Acts 16, the Philippian jailer, and uh, how he, 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 Paul and Silas are in prison, and God gets them out, and he's going to kill himself, and, and Paul says, don't do that. And, and then he, he leads uh, the Philippian jailer and his family, his household, probably his servants, to faith in Jesus Christ. And so Luke was there for all of that in, in Philippi. But then we don't hear any more we in the, Bible, the book of, uh, of Acts from chapter 16 until four chapters later and about six years later in chapter 20, when suddenly, guess where we pick up Luke again? In Philippi. Six years later, it seems he's still there, and he says, now he rejoins the team. We sailed from Philippi and joined the others at Troas. And so he comes along on the rest of the third journey, which eventually takes him all the way to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, as you may know, that's where Paul was arrested and he appealed to Caesar. And that's how he ends up in Rome. And the rest of the book of Acts from chapter 20 to 28, you keep seeing Luke saying we and us until chapter 28, verse 16, he says, we arrived in Rome you know, and Paul was under guard. So that's why in verse 14, we now know that Luke is with Paul. He has cared about the gospel all along. What did he do during those six years, though? It seems he could have been in Philippi. Did Paul leave him there to help disciple this, this, this jailer and his wife and his kids and his servants and, and help this, the church to, to grow? And we have the book of Philippians. We, we learned it's a really quite a, a healthy church. Did he, did he help shepherd this church? Did he help share the gospel in the, in the city of Philippi? Or all some possibilities. But Luke, like Epaphras, was committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, we announced last week that we are nearing uh, the completion of our Multiply campaign, which, as most of you know, is our effort to build the discipleship center that is now complete. Uh, the rear parking lot is scheduled for concrete uh, in August. We chose the word multiply as our theme, and we're calling that building, that part of our facility, the discipleship center. If you happen to be uh, newer with us, you might wonder why multiply. And why do you call it the Discipleship Center? It really goes to the words of Christ. Uh, before he left earth, he got the disciples together and he says, go and make disciples of all nations. And so 2,000 years later, our task is still to multiply disciples, meaning, and disciple means a follower of Christ. So, so, so while our facilities new classrooms or fellowship hall or kitchen and coffee area, foyer or whatever. It's about, it's space, right? It's just, it's just brick and mortar. But it's really about the fact that we realize that our task of making disciples requires us to be in relationship with each other. We need to be urging one another to stand firm, wrestling in prayer for one another, that we would finish well, because there's going to be every distraction in the world that's going to keep us from our spiritual purposes. 
on earth. No one will arrive at the finish line of life following Christ faithfully without the help of others. It, it is not, the Christian life is not a lone ranger proposition. So when you think of Paul and spending the space he does with his 20 names or 10 names, you realize he understood the value of all these people to him. He had to be part of the team for himself to stand strong. And what were they doing? They were working together to plant churches, which are God's plan for relationships. That together we would support each other to stand strong. So we need to be asking ourselves, who's encouraging us to stand strong? Who are we encouraging to stand strong? Epaphras, Luke, committed to making disciples. Who else was mentioned in verse 14? Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sends greetings. Uh, Demas is mentioned similarly at the same time, really, in Philemon 24. But there is a third time that we find the name Demas, and it's not good. It's about six years later, and uh, now Paul is in the second imprisonment, the one that it seems he never, he never was released from, so we assume he died as a martyr. And his name is mentioned, Demas's name is mentioned in Paul's final letter, the book of 2 Timothy. He writes to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Only Luke is with me. In the context there, there were a number of other people on the team that Paul sent to go do different ministry purposes, which is legitimate. But he's evidently counting on Luke and Demas to stick with him in that final imprisonment where he would eventually be killed. Now Demas was gone. It's a very abrupt term. He left. He quit. And we're told why. It's because he loved this world. The word world here is not the same as John 3.16, God so loved the world, a term that usually means uh, people. This is the word world that is the word age or season, referring to this life here. He is describing Demas as someone who loved this world as opposed to understanding he was an eternal being. He was describing the typical problem of immediate gratification. It is what our world lives for. It is what seeps into each of our hearts as believers as well. As we begin to live for this world, immediate gratification. And Demas was somehow distracted by something or someone, and he quit serving Paul and quit serving Christ. Did he lose his salvation? No. Paul has written very clearly that uh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Salvation is a free gift, no strings attached. Demas was fully saved. And yet he abandoned 
his pursuit of Christ and service. What did he lose if not his salvation? He lost the privilege of serving Christ. And he lost, in some sense, the reward of God's well done in heaven. I've been reading in my, personally in First and Second Peter recently, and just this week I came across this passage about living for eternity. Second Peter 1, 5 to 8, there's a whole list, I've, I've, left, I've left out some of the phrases, but it's a list of things that we need to make sure we're adding to our walk with Christ. Add to your faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, there's kindness, all kinds of things. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Peter's saying it's very, very important that you see your life as being effective and productive for Jesus Christ. That's what you're here for. That's why he hasn't taken you home to heaven yet. He wants you to be productive. A couple of verses later. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we pursue these character traits, following Christ closely, we will be effective, we will be productive, and we won't stumble like sometimes a runner in a race can stumble. And ultimately, we will receive a rich welcome in the eternal kingdom. Because we see our life not just for this tiny little slice of here and now, but we live forever. He says you want to be working towards a rich welcome, whatever that means. Whatever it means, Epaphras and Luke are already enjoying it for some 2,000 years. Demas, he's there. How was that different? I don't know. But Demas stumbled. Something in this world caused him to quit serving Christ. What was it? Doesn't say. Was it a moral failure? Was he pilfering money like Judas did from the money that supported Jesus and the disciples? It doesn't say. Frankly, I don't think it was those things. I think Paul would have maybe said something like he's uh, become corrupt or, or perverse or something like that. He just uses this generic, he loved the world. And generally in the New Testament, when you see this loving of the world concept, you know what it is that really measures success for most people in the world? It's money. John, 1 John 2 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Or Paul wrote to Timothy, The love of money is the root or cause of all kinds of evil. 1 Timothy 6.10. Again, be, be clear, money itself is not the problem. Loving money is the problem, and that's an equal opportunity sin at every economic level. Then Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve money and God at the same time. Demas somehow came to love the world, perhaps money. Centuries ago, John Bunyan wrote the famous book, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, In it, uh, two men, Christian and hopeful at this one point, 
his friend, Christian and hopeful that these men are called, and it's, it's a parable, are making their way to the celestial city, and as they're going along the way, they come to this hill called lucre, L-U-C-R-E. It's an ancient word for money, but it's always in a negative connotation having to do with either you know, cheating or, or uh, greed or something like that. And in this hill, lucre, there's a silver mine. And guess who's standing alongside the silver mine? It's a man named Demas. And so Christian and Hopeful are walking by, and, and Demas said, come on over here, there's treasure in this hill. There's a silver mine, come dig for treasure with me. And Hopeful gets real interested in it, and Christian says, no, I've heard about this place, and many people have been destroyed in their pilgrimage to the celestial city here at the hill of Lucre. Hopeful asks Demas, so is it dangerous? And Demas says, no, 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 not if you're careful. And then John Bunyan writes, but he blushed as he said it. It was a lie. Well, eventually, Christian persuades Hopeful to not be distracted and keep making their way to the celestial city. We've been teaching through the years here about what the Bible says about money. <clears throat> we use the statement, everything is spiritual, and the statement, money is spiritual, and it is. Money is spiritual. It's, it's, it's one of the chief indicators of what's going on. Um, money is spiritually helpful when we see it, when we see all money belonging to God and we are temporary stewards of whatever it is we have. Money becomes a spiritually helpful piece of our journey. Money is spiritually harmful when we see it as ours and what it can do and it can, can appeal to all kinds of selfish desires and become distracting. This age may have been money for Demas or of course there could be other things. Success, pleasure, power, pride. What issue is it in this age that has a high likelihood of distracting you? <clears throat> what desire, what cause, what success could distract you from standing firm and finishing well? Recently it came across, I don't know how old the song is, but a song by Jimmy Needham called Clear the Stage. Anybody know that one? One line in the song is, anything I want with all my heart is an idol. Anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol. That's Demas. Verses 15 and 16 are not greetings from people in Rome, but now to people where the letter is arriving. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, that nearby church, remember, and to Nympha and the church in her house. Uh, a few of you are looking at a Bible that says Nympha and the church in his house. It's, uh, it's one of those names in Scripture that can be male or female, just like some English names, Terry, Kelly, or Sydney. 
Just this last week, it happened again, and someone was looking at something that referred to Sydney as she, and I said, actually, that's me. Oh, I think that's why I go by Sid. This seems to be different greeting, uh, greetings to different churches, Laodicea and to Nympha. We don't know where that church was. We just know they met in, her, in his or her house. Could have been another Laodicean or Colossian church or maybe something out in the country. Uh, Nympha, whoever he or she was, was not a missionary, not a part of the ministry team, not an elder, not a teacher, not an evangelist, but somebody who said, here's my home. I want God to use my home. Hospitality, generosity. Uh, As you probably know, there were no church buildings exclusively for church like we have now until about the third century. So all churches met in homes or something like that. And I think it's important we'd remember even that as if there were ever to come a time that we would not be allowed to meet as church in church buildings, we took them all away. Would the church still exist? Absolutely. We would, we would meet wherever we possibly could to encourage one another, do the very same thing, just a different platform. And, 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 and the church was meeting in homes then. We can, we can meet wherever we need to meet. Verse 16 also then says, there's some other, le- some other letter referred to. After this letter, Colossians, has been read to you, see, it to that, see to it that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans. So take this book, Colossians, and, and take it over there so they can read this one. And in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. We actually don't know what that letter is for sure. Did Paul write a similar letter to that church that was not meant to be part of the inspired text or... Uh, and I think this is actually more likely, was he referring to Ephesians, a book that seems to have been written a little bit more generically and meant for other churches, maybe a circular letter, I think that's a, a, a high likelihood. And then verse 17, we meet the last person named, Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. He will be again Uh, part of our study in Philemon, verse 2, where he is called a fellow soldier. So whatever Luke, or rather whatever Paul meant by telling him, complete the work that you have received, uh, Paul values him as a spiritual man, probably a leader. But here in this verse, we can't help but realize that when this letter is read out loud in in the Colossian church, like we're meeting here, um, Paul kind of calls him out. See to it, you complete the work you've received in the Lord. What was that? Was that, a, was that a position that he held that he was wanting to step down from? Was it a particular task that uh, was unfinished and he needed to follow through? Did Paul know something about Archippus that he may have been tempted to quit, like Demas? We don't know. But he seems to be a good man, a godly man, who just needed a reminder to follow through, stand firm, finish well. Maybe, maybe he best fits most of us. We need constant encouragement and reminders of what we've talked about today. The Christian life is a marathon. and We will encounter every kind of temptation and distraction and disappointment and discouragement, but we need to be fully assured in the will of God and stay on track viewing the finish line of this life, which begins simply the next. Epaphras, 
standing firm, wrestling in prayer. Luke, by his side, Paul's side, faithful to the end, it seems, writing the gospel two for two. Then Demas, quit because he loved the world. And finally, Archippus and Nympha as well. Needing the reminder, don't quit. How are you doing? Are you standing firm? At the, at, the, at the trend you're going at spiritually right now, would you finish well? Would you receive a rich welcome? We've studied 10 men that Paul knew over the course of a, basically a 20-year public traveling ministry. If there is a key to standing firm in the New Testament, it's relationships. The, the entire book of Colossians has been about submitting to the supremacy of Christ. That's the, that's the focus, is our relationship with Christ. But it's like he's added this, these, these last verses, listing all of these names, showing how important not only is the vertical relationship under Christ, but actually our relationship horizontally with one another, if we're going to finish well. And so I picture Paul valuing this, this team he had around him and uh, as they traveled together, each evening, discussing the Word of God, discussing what they're struggling with, praying for one another, talking about how are they going to help this person and how are they going to help this church and who's going where next because they were focused on making disciples of Jesus Christ and it drew them together. When Demas left, he lost that. It's not that Demas didn't have godly friends. He did but he started to listen to some other voice. I think someone gave him an opportunity to do something else. So think about your relationships. Because you will need friends who help you, encourage you to finish strong spiritually. I think everybody has a variety of friends. And I think we should ask ourselves, who is influencing us spiritually? I think we all have three sets of friends. Some of those friends are neutral in influence, okay? The people you're with, are maybe some work next to you, they, uh, they're neighbors, you share a hobby. They're not, they're not bad for you, but you don't get into spiritual things. It's not about values. That's something you enjoy together. You, you have these conversations. You probably don't know them that, that well. But they're good, they're good part of life. But probably you have some people around you who are a negative influence, potentially. And you kind of know why. There are people who say things that you want to hear. People that do things that you want to do, but they always seem to be walking or crossing a line that you know is a problem. The, the, the advice that they would give you about something would not quite fit with what the Holy Spirit and the Word of God would tell you. So you know there's a risk. But I trust that you also have those friends who are a positive influence for you spiritually. You respect the way they live. 
They aren't perfect. You've seen their ups and downs. But you know that Christ is impacting their life because somehow in conversations it always comes out that you know, something God's teaching me or something that I'm learning or, boy, I've noticed this about myself. You, you see this humility. And you know that if you were to ask them advice, there would be a great similarity and overlap with what you've read in the Word of God. In the decades of ministry here, I've seen uh, some people who seem to start slow spiritually and you kind of wonder how's this going to work out and they end up kind of like Mark who studied last week. They're faithful. Others who seem to start so well and you're excited and they seem to just love and serve the Lord and this happened, that happened and they kind of disappear. Others who kind of just have this steady growth trending upwards. I don't know where you see yourself, but wherever you are, the word of God is catching us there and telling us, stand firm, fully assured in the will of God because if there's anything that characterizes somebody who is arriving at the finish line well, is that they have relationships with people who walk with them Connect with them, also standing firm and fully assured of the will of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much just for your, your wonderful word and the way this particular book has spoken to us through the past months, even in this uh, unique recent season. Lord, we just know that you plan your word and by your spirit you touch our hearts in different ways, different times, different, way, different words, different verses different applications that you, you attach to our hearts. Lord, you know the, the heart and uh, thoughts and motives of each, each of us hearing your word here today, whether in the room or uh, sitting, uh, watching uh, this broadcast right now. And I pray that wherever they are, they will understand that you are at work in their life to draw them to stand firm and be assured that your word will guide them to finish well. In Jesus' name, amen.